Hey, this is Dan. Welcome to the Spiritual Underground Podcast. Coming to you from DTM Enterprises, my little wood shop in my backyard. Uh, we're set up here and uh, I frankly uh, tell you we're doing a double header today and uh, I just love doing these things. It really, really warms my heart to to sit and, and listen one-on-one to to somebody tell me their, uh, their story of recovering through here. So if you're new to this podcast, this is a Primarily a 12-step based pro, uh, podcast, 12-step recovery. Um, we talk about other things here too. Uh, had a recovery. Actually, today's episode that come out was a guy who uh, lost a tremendous amount of weight. Uh, was uh, some over 250 pounds in 14 months, and in that he also quit nicotine. And uh, so that's kind of a neat story, and it didn't have anything to do with drugs or alcohol. But it was a man's story of recovering himself in a, in a different way. And I do like to explore different avenues of recovery. Uh, they're all interesting to me, and I, and I learn something every time I, I listen. Um, I want to talk about DTMWW.net. That's my little wood shop handyman business. If you're in the Louisville metropolitan area, you can contact me through that spiritualunderground.org is the podcast or the website that uh, supports this podcast you can go there and see uh, pictures of the guests if they uh, if they choose to allow me to post a picture and uh, links to the podcast are there podcast can be found on all the major platforms uh, google play apple uh, spotify pandora Um, you can find it just about every place 12-Step Spiritual Recovery is a book by James Christopher Cohn. You can find that on Amazon. It is the 12-Step Manual. A little updated information in there. And it is geared to uh, people who do not fit in the typical 12-Step fellowships. It's a way to uh, uh, get a hold of these tools no matter where you are in life. The music around this podcast is by Darren Frank. And uh, I'm going to turn off that fan on that heater. Uh, Darren's uh, doing well and people are seeing him. Uh, we just keep him in your prayers uh, as he recovers from this uh, health issue he's got going on. Today's guest and I will take one second. I can actually clean that out, but the up and down part of it bugs me. Uh I have an app that if I if I record some ambient noise, I can actually tell this app, this program, to listen to that noise and take it out. Okay. So like when I'm running the air conditioner or something, I can do that. Uh, today's guest is another one that, you know, I'm on the stretch of these people that I'm getting to meet as they come up my driveway. And that's kind of exciting. I like uh, in the beginning, most of these podcasts, I'd harnessed my friends to come and be on it. And they're now getting their friends to come. And uh, I just excite. It always sends like a a web out in a different direction because people who uh, don't know you will listen and know know your story now, and and your friends might listen, and they might know somebody else's and listen to somebody else's story and know that person a little better. Um, so that's that's neat to me. Uh, Mike is our guest today, and uh, he's uh, well. Frankly, he come to me through. Uh, we call him Boom Boom. Uh, Brian Brian L. You've heard him in here. Uh, he, he sent a, a few guests my way and, uh, he always sends some magic. Brad G, uh, was, was here a few weeks ago and I didn't know him and we just had a great time sitting here, uh, getting to know each other. And he's a, he's a really fun guy. Um, so, uh, how are you doing today, Mike? 
Well, I'm doing pretty good for an old guy. Yeah. Uh, nice day. It, uh, after those couple gloomy, rainy days we've had lately, I like that sunshine that's going on uh, out there today. Me, me too. I'm moved into the area from Indianapolis uh, some months ago, and uh, Indianapolis, most people don't know, has less days of sunshine than Seattle does. Really? So, uh, it I just love, and it lifts my spirit being around all this sunshine. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm starting to feel like spring already almost. Uh, and we, I know we got a couple months of still some cold weather, but uh, it'll be here. And heck, I like every season. I don't have any. We'll any get one challenged, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. So uh, we'll start off like we always do with a very important date. Uh, we'll talk about your, what is your sobriety date? Uh, September 7th, 1985. 1985. So that is uh, 35 years ago. Is 34. That? 34. Yeah. Because we've got to get to sep- September, September before yeah. it gets there. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Uh, that's, that's quite a while back. I uh, graduated high school in 87. Okay. Uh, I've always put some kind of meter about where that's at in my life. Uh so we normally talk about, you know, this is a typical deal. We talk about uh, how we grew up. I like to hear where a guy was born and raised, how his family, well, you know, what kind of, how his upbringing was. I think there's a connection there usually that I find that where we, uh, you know, looking back in hindsight, we can see where we had this spiritual malady and how our spirit got stepped on as we grew up. And I won't say, I don't think it's necessarily a, a cause and effect thing, but there certainly is some correlation as I sit here listening to stories about uh, events in people's lives that, that sometimes could be categorized as trauma uh, where, you know, things happen. I think uh, if you you go through a divorce with your parents, divorce and you're young, there's a certain amount of trauma you experience through those kind of events. So uh, I will turn the microphone over to you. Yeah. Well, thanks. Uh, I grew up in uh, a university town in Iowa, Iowa city, Iowa, big 10 university. Yeah. Town. When I grew up there in the 50s, uh, it was a uh, university was about 25,000 students. Uh, it's much bigger now. And uh, the town was about 50,000 people and it's much bigger now. But uh, it was a great place to grow up. Uh, all the neighbors knew each other and watched each other's kids. Yeah. And uh, the mayor lived next door and the police chief lived down the block and the sheriff lived around the cor- another corner, and my folks played bridge with pretty much all of them. And, bridge. Uh, my mom was a huge bridge fan. Yeah, and and so forth. So, uh, yeah, I, uh, I, my, uh, my first uh, first drug I got hooked on was the drug of approval, mm. and because uh, I was a kid you wouldn't like, I would. Uh, uh, I would suck up to all the teachers and try and do all the right stuff. And if you made the mistake, <laughs> ask me over to your place for dinner, for example. Uh, I'd jump up as soon as the meal was over and I'd grab plates off the table and take them in the kitchen, start <clears throat> rinsing them off. And, uh, you know, and pretty soon I'd get your mom to say, Jimmy, why can't you be like that nice Lorenz boy? <laughs> and uh, you know, there, there. I, I don't know why I thought I needed that mm-hmm. uh, because uh, I come from an intact family. But my the disease of self centeredness was on me from the uh, from the get go. Mm. My it's still a family legend about my resentment. I'm the oldest of four children, 
and how I, I was upset when my sister was born. Uh, they, I was three years old. They asked me what I wanted for Christmas that year, and I said, send her back. <laughs> and uh, as it unfolded years later, my, my primary amends to my siblings and my family was the fact that I just was a kid that sucked all the oxygen out of the room. Oh, that's an interesting way to put it. Hmm. Yeah. We didn't have any uh, alcoholism in the immediate family. And hmm. I didn't know till years later that uh, my father was probably an untreated Al-Anon. <laughs> uh, he, uh, in the middle of the Depression, when he was 15 years old, uh, his paternal grandfather died, uh, or excuse me, his paternal grandmother died, and he was sent to live with his grandpa, uh, who was apparently a raging alcoholic. Mm. And my job, dad's job at 15 was to try and manage this uh, adult uh, alcoholic. And saw that later, it made sense when I looked at the difference between his reaction to my drinking and uh, my mother's reaction to it. Yeah. So, so that'd be your great, great grandfather. It was his granddad. Yeah, yeah. So a little ways up the line. Yeah. But no other, you don't have much alcoholism in and around you, huh? And, uh, finally, I've got, a, I've got a nephew that's 10 years sober now. Oh, really? Uh, cool. Uh, coming up on 11, and uh, that's pretty much uh, all we've got in the, the immediate family. Huh. That's yeah. pretty interesting because most people sit and, you know, most people have some, can point to a, a relative that's closer up the line than, yeah. than that. Well, it's one of the reasons I questioned whether I belonged at, 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 at various times. Yeah. And part of part of my uh, amends to my family actually was, and I might as well mention it now, is that I invented an entire dysfunctional family that never existed mm. in order to justify, think I thought I needed that uh, to justify my seat in Alcoholics Anonymous. Hmm. And told a lot of lies about people that did nothing but try and help me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that kind of fancied or real. Yeah, uh, there you go. Fancied up some stuff. Well, you know, my my M.O. is if I can't pack the gear, I'm going to come up with a good story why it's my fault that I don't. Hmm. Uh, that That's something that emerged with me about spiritual matters. I... I, uh, I had all kinds of stories about that, but the truth has been un revealed to me in sober life was that I was a kid that begged his, I begged both my grandmothers, one of them was a Baptist and the other one was Catholic. I begged them both to take me to church. Huh. Uh, I loved it. I hung out with it and everything else. And the, f the short version is that uh, when I was, got old enough that I started uh, to want to do a few things that didn't seem to match up with what I was hearing in church, I couldn't just say, I'm, you know, I'm going to walk away or I differ from you. I, uh, I had to make up a story about that. Uh, you scared me. You were mean to me. You, you know, all this other stuff. That's and yeah. the fact is that I, I had a couple of, uh, religious people that were very kind and, and tried to mentor me in, in early uh, early 
early years, and uh, I had a chance to make amends to one of them, but uh, the other one was long gone by the time I, I got sober. Hmm. But uh, that's that's kind of the story of my life. I squirt a lot of ink in the water so you can't see what Mike's up to. Hmm. So we'll, uh, we'll just move on down the pike, and you can, uh, you know, okay, let well, me know. <clears throat> well, about when I was about eleven years old, I I had uh, I didn't understand it as such at the time, but what was explained to me later uh, was my uh, was a spiritual awakening of sorts, and then I got a hold of enough vodka that I it had a real effect on me. Mm. And all of a sudden, uh, I wasn't interested in your approval anymore. And uh, my parents thought there had been a demon possession in the house. Oh, really? The kid that brought home the good grades and cared about everybody being happy with him. All of a sudden, you know, I'm giving them all the finger and and Mm. all of that. Now, being the times being what they were, I... I couldn't drink as often as I wanted to until I got a little older. But maybe I usually kind of, I, I was under the misapprehension that I drank normally though sometime in my late 20s and then things just kind of went off the rails and uh, went bad. But the truth is uh, that uh, a couple examples I'm 16, just got a driver's license. I'm riding around with a buddy and a couple of six packs of beer outside that little university town. And uh, the local sheriff's deputy pulled me over. Mm. Saw the light go on and pulled off the side of the road and turned to my buddy in the car and said, hey, watch this. Got out of the car, go back, and I'm waving at the deputy because... This little town, he knows me, he knows my folks, yeah. I know him, everything. So I smile and start. we start walking to each other. And when I got close to him, I grabbed him and I smashed him down across the hood of his cruiser and took his gun away from him. And he was pissed. Yeah, I bet. And he sputtered and this and that and the other thing. And then I turned around and handed it back to him. And... Uh, he was really upset then, and uh, he cursed and sputtered and this and that and took our beer and poured it out. But at the end of the day, he did what I thought he was going to do, which was turn us loose. Yeah. Uh, because there's no way he's going back to, to write me up and take me back to the substation and have to listen to his buddies for the rest of his career, kidding him about the get kid who took his gun away. That ain't going to happen. Yeah. And even more important was that my buddy was watching all this go down out of the back window of my car. And, uh, you know, if you don't think you're enough, you know, you need all that street cred that you can right. get. So yeah. And that's, that's a bunch right there. Yeah, well, <laughs> the story was all over my high school, of course, the next next day. I'll bet. And, uh, you know, I got... I got to be somebody for a little right. while. Now, I don't know why I needed that, but uh, I I thought I did. So did you like, I mean, was that almost like a spur of the moment thing? Or did you, yeah. was that the plan to do that? No, I, I you know, I'm, I'm, I'm improvising as yeah. I go along, you know. 
<laughs> my intention was to drink that beer that night and get more than my share. And, uh, you know, I, get, I had an opportunity. Huh, what can we do with this? Yeah. You know? Today that gets you killed. Oh, yeah. Old, old Frank uh, J., who was a Rampart guy out of L.A., that I met in later years in recovery, Frank says, you're damn lucky that wasn't me in that car. Yeah. You know? And uh, so anyway, uh, so that's that's one little vignette from the time. And then guessing about a year later, we had another tragedy around our house. And my father, instead of buying me the Corvette that I thought I was entitled to, went out and bought my mother a new car. I thought that was awful. And he uh, he not only got her a new car, he got about the lamest car he could have found. He, he bought her a new Buick. There were big boats in those days, and it was that kind of senior citizen tan that yeah. you see. And, and oh, just, I was enraged. And my mother, uh, who reacted differently than my dad, my mom was always sometimes kind of a co-conspirator, but uh, after a couple of weeks, she says, uh, you know, I know you're unhappy about it, but look, here, here are the keys to my car. It's, it's a new car. It's a nice car. Why don't you take it on your day tonight? And, uh, you know, it's, I know it's not what you want, but maybe it'll be better than what you got. And I said, oh, okay. And I took the car and went on the date. And... Uh, Sure enough, uh, I don't remember what happened on the date, really, but later that uh, night I found, ran into some buddies, and we ended up down at Old Buck's Machine Shop. And uh, Buck was a World War II veteran, later became a member of our fellowship. And uh, I was Buck's son was my drinking buddy, and so uh, we were down there drinking in the shop and complaining and everything else, and... Uh, one of my, quotes friends fired up cutting torch and put it in my hand. He says, you know, Lorenz, he says, uh, you aren't going to get that Corvette, but uh, you could have a convertible. So I proceeded to cut the top off my oh. new car. Yeah. And the next morning, <laughs> the next morning, uh, we're... Uh, my parents bring the the other kids out, and they're, they're all dressed up. They're going to take them to church, and they come out in the garage, and there's the smoking hulk of mom's car with Big Brother laid out naked across the front seat. Oh, really? Yes. And uh, I don't have much memory of that, except I remember hearing my mother yell, don't hit him, Art, don't hit him. And uh, so... Uh, that is amazing. Yeah. Now, in, in retrospect, I understand that with my dad's background, how how utterly frustrated it frustrated normal human. Oh being, yeah, but uh, with his Alnon background, untreated, uh, I'm I'm sure that was a a terrible, yeah. terrible wrenching thing to him, and I it it just slid off my back at the time. Yeah, so, so that's these are the years that it was pointed out to me that I uh, I considered my normal drinking years. Normal. And I was I was just having a good time, yeah. and you didn't understand, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So that uh, that was an awakening for me. Yeah. When when it felt like it was working. Yeah. And I suppose it is. Yeah. 
Yeah. It did? Compared to the alternative, sure. Yeah. So. Did you, uh, where'd you go to high school out there? Yeah, I, I went to high school there. Later on, the University of Iowa, I made a drastic mistake. So did you graduate from high school and went to the college locally? Yes, yes, to, to the university there. And uh, I uh, made a mistake in uh, my sophomore year. Uh, I went on spring break. It was the spring of 1966, and I enjoyed spring break so much that I didn't come back and take my midterms. Mm. And all of a sudden, uh, I had an, an encounter with Uncle Sam that I couldn't avoid or talk my way out of. Oh, really? So uh, I found myself in the Army and eventually, after a series of adventures, uh, on my way to Vietnam. Mm. So uh, the odd thing for most folks is that uh, Vietnam, prior to recovery, was uh, one of my long most... I was sober there more than about any place else. Oh, really? Yeah. Dangerous, pe dangerous place not to be drunk or to be loaded. Yeah, I mean, it's, and I had friends that had different experiences, but uh, I spent most of my time uh, running an infantry platoon down in the Mekong Delta and uh, lots of booby traps and so forth. And uh, that's where I kind of came to understand peer pressure because if you've got armed people and you're responsible for part of their security. They get real upset if you're you're loaded, mm -hmm. or uh, if you put the artillery and the airstrike in the wrong place, they get upset. Yeah, and uh, stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, almost call it scared straight. Yeah. Uh, How long were you there? Uh, I was I was there for a little over a year. I. Uh, I extended my tour there simply because I knew I couldn't return to the stateside army and getting up and saluting the flag every morning and all that kind of stuff. Uh, in the in the combat world there, as long as we did our job, they there weren't many rules about how we did it mm. and and so forth and polishing boots and and doing all the other stuff. So. Uh, I, I knew I was going to be in trouble coming back to the States with that attitude. So I, I stayed long enough. They had a rule. If you could get within three three months of your time of uh, uh, separation, that they just discharge you when you got back. And I did that. Mm. Yeah. Come home and got out. Yep. Think you carried anything home from Vietnam? Uh you know, there's a lot of stigma out there about like that having you know it, it really changed some men's lives and I'm I'm sure it I'm trying to measure my words here because uh, over the years I've had the opportunity to work with a lot of people uh, that have had combat various com combat experience I I came back. I was fortunate. One of the one of the guys that that helped me early on. I was talking to him. I said, "Don, I've got a. I was kind of big fish in a small pond. I, I had all these decorations. I was my picture was in the local newspaper a number of times, and mm. uh, you know, with stuff like gallantry and heroism and whatever attached to it, and." 
I said, Don, why is it that I got all these medals? And you know, I've I got to tell you, I've never felt brave a second. Mm. And he says, Well, explain that to me. And I, I did, and uh, he gave me an answer that really changed my life. He says, Oh, he says you were never brave. He says you were just afraid that somebody would think you're a coward. So you would you would run at somebody with a machine gun who was when you were wounded, when, uh, you know, because you were afraid somebody would think you're a coward. He says, that's not fear, that's terror. And oh. I, I, I got that, and that settled it down. Now, what, what my experience was for me personally, and I've seen it with the number of people that I've worked with, was... Uh, one of my best games when I came back for getting out of stuff was, well, you know, I could get you to go, well, you know, if you'd been where he'd been and done what he'd done and been through all the stuff he's been, you'd be a little crazy too. So just give him a break. And uh, I worked that. Mm. Now that's, there are people that, uh, fellow veterans that, that had trauma uh, and had different reactions to it and, and experiences mm -hmm. with it. Mine was that I couldn't get and stay sober and be permanent in recovery till I put that aside. Mm. As long as I wanted to be a special case because of my war experience, uh, that uh, that didn't seem to work for me. I understand. Yeah. Yeah. I have a... Uh... I've had some, well, my ex-father-in-law was uh, a veteran, and also he had, you know, so he brought some buddies around, and, and, and I've had some experience in, uh, you know, burying. And I also remember when I was a kid, I had a friend, a really good friend, who actually is the first one that introduced me to marijuana. Um, his stepdad was like a stereotypical thing, This and it's set, well, I should say that it set some kind of stereotypical thing in my head. It's not real <laughs> mm -hmm. but he was uh very short-tempered he sat and he drank and watched tv and when you had to go through the house in that room you tried to be like invisible <laughs> yeah uh as you moved through there because you had to go through the living room to get to the, my buddy's bedroom and uh and and you went through there very quietly and with as little interruption as possible or else hell broke loose and that set uh, a mental thing because they attached yeah. that same Vietnam thing to him. Yeah. You know, and that, and it set this, well, if you're, if you did that, then you're, then you're that. Right. Uh, well, not true, but. Yeah. There isn't one experience. Yeah. There. Right. There, yeah. there are a lot of different experiences filtered through a lot of different personalities. So, yeah. 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 And when, I think when you're young like that, you know, you'll get those impressions, you know, and they, they're somehow another stick hard, you know, where you don't, you're not able to like process it that, that that's this is just one case yeah um so when you come home uh did you turn it loose then when you got when you got home and be able to uh drink freely and didn't have to worry about the oh yeah oh yeah and uh how old would you been like i was 21 two no i went i went in just before my 20th birthday i was in three years so, okay uh so you, I was I was essentially yeah twenty three twenty three when you came home yeah yeah so I uh, 
yeah, I came back and I, I started trying to fit in and, and uh, uh, I thought and uh, went to went back to school, went went to work for a family business. Uh, and uh, I was, uh, of course, my drinking ramped up. I told you I'm hiding behind the excuses there. Uh, I'm stealing from the family business. Mm-hmm. I'm uh, all this dishonesty going on. And I finally decided I got to get out of Dodge. And who knew? I ended up uh, going to work for a, a company uh, that sent me to Louisville, Kentucky for uh, training in mm. uh, September of 1973 down here. So I. Uh, I had a couple years of, of uh, taste of Louisville before I actually moved here this time. Yeah, and uh, so forth. So, uh, and uh, I was uh, I was not a nice guy around Louisville either. Mm. Uh, I kind of fell upstairs in that company, and uh, about one of the worst things that can happen to an alcoholic is I I started uh, making uh, making a lot of money. Yeah, uh, without a lot of supervision or responsibility. Yeah, and uh, that's so, another place you can hide, you know, uh, behind it. Hey, look, I'm, I'm successful. Yeah. So you know, hey, I'm on my way to Aspen to go skiing. Yeah, and I'm doing this and I'm doing that. Yeah, and uh, so forth. And uh, I'm gonna grab a bottle of water or something to drink. Do you sure. want a bottle of water or something? Yeah, I'm about done with the coffee here. Cold or room temperature? Doesn't matter. Whatever you got. I got both. Sometimes I want it cold. I don't know why. So you said you had to get out of Dodge. Yeah. (laughs) Well, where did you end up? Did you just, did you move? Well, I ended up moving. Yeah, I, I, I just got serious about looking for a job outside the family business. And what was the family business? Uh, family business was a, uh, a gourmet food business. Oh yeah, yeah. We were kind of on the front edge of that yeah. at that time. And uh, so anyway, I, uh, I ended up coming to Louisville to work for a company that's no longer there. It's the old. In row shirt company down there, mm. and uh, rings a bell. Yeah, I uh, I lived in, lived in the Imperial House. They had a company apartment there, and uh, I lived in there. And the funny thing is, I can stand in my backyard today and see where I lived forty oh. some years ago. Wow! And uh, it's a much different life today. Yeah. So I mean. With the money, I went through the. I, I was eventually ended up in Indianapolis and uh, proceeded to do what I, you know, I bought myself the right kind of house on the right street and uh, uh, old Tudor, lead glass windows, slate roof. You know, I, I mean, I've got, if you don't, you've got, it's my stage dressing for there. And uh, I had a friend out in L.A. who uh, uh, described my reaction perfectly. He said he uh, he had a house in Beverly Hills, and uh, he said, you know, I, I'd come home, and every night I'd be sort of afraid that the real co- owner was going to come along and uh. tell me to leave, you know. 
I my name was on the deed, but I di- I didn't really feel like I it was mine. Hmm. I was again it was part of the stage set. Yeah. So what happens with that is inevitably I I uh, I finally uh, you know you go up as far as you can go and then you start going down and. Uh, uh, you live off your reputation, and uh, you uh, try and use uh, money and other things to keep people at bay. But eventually, uh, I uh, crashed. The house is gone. The car is gone, and I'm uh, living with a gal. The truth was, I was living off of her, and you know, I wasn't raised to to do that. And we played a game. I didn't know it at the time, but uh, we kept playing a game that I was going to, or occasionally I'd fly into New York and I'd have a job interview and, you know, Mike was going to be back in the saddle again and the big time was going to be here all over again. And this was just a little bump on the road and all that kind of stuff. And and that wasn't happening. And eventually it devolved down to... Really, kind of my first experience with one day at a time living. Uh, I uh, it went like this. Uh, she got up and went to work because she had a good job, and I got up whenever I could get up, and I had to go out in the kitchen of that apartment and make myself a drink and carry it into the bathroom, and I'd sit on the edge of the tub by the toilet and try and get the first drink to stay down because mm. I, w- I wasn't going to be able to get dressed uh, until I got that first drink in me. And uh, so then I'd eventually get going and she'd come home at night after, after work and she'd put her car in the carport and uh, she'd take, uh, start to come in the house. Then she'd, take her purse, take whatever, take her money and stuff and put it under the carpet in the trunk of her car and she'd leave some money for me to steal in her purse. Uh-huh. And she'd come in and we'd have something to eat and might watch a TV show and then she'd go to bed because she had a job to get up for and I'd eventually, once I thought she was asleep, I'd reach in her purse and take that money and... Uh, I'd head out the back door and uh, down to one of the bars. And uh, one day at a time. Hmm. That's how that rolled. Yeah, I can relate with that too. And eventually, I kind of get a sense that she's, you know how we do, that I'm I'm playing out my string here. So I I tell her that, uh, you know, I'm going to try and get sober again. Because I've I've tried a few treatment centers, uh, I've I've been when I had insurance and people cared I was going to nice expensive ones, and you know, kind of down the hill. Well, there isn't any insurance or any money left, so I'm headed for the VA now. Yeah, and I'm confused enough. I'm living in Indianapolis, but the only VA I can get my mind around is in the middle of Iowa, about a four and a half, five hour drive. So she uh, she bought me a pint of Bacardi rum, gave me 20 bucks and filled up my tank with gas and said, you know. Find it. Good luck, <laughs> you know. So I headed. 
uh, headed out uh, in my old beater car to uh, get sober. In Iowa. In Iowa. And I, uh, there'd been a veterans treatment center near Des Moines uh, that I'd been told about over the years. And I mentioned at the top the old boy Buck, whose machine shop I'd worked on mom's car in. I, uh, it was around Labor Day and, you know, some of that hot, humid heat we get sometimes mm -hmm. get that time of year. And of course, I got a drunk car, so the air conditioning isn't working. And I run out of the, run out of the rum and so forth. And I'm not to that treatment center yet. I'm uh, about 100 miles short. And where I am is I'm on I-80 near my old hometown. And by this time, my dad's dead. My mom still lives in that town. And I got two brothers, two, two of my brothers that still live there. And this is another one of those seconds and inches things for me because I know today that if I'd pulled off there and gone to mom's house, I could have gotten mom to write another check. Mm. Uh, but instead, I took the exit and went over to Buck's house. And Buck and his wife had gotten sober about seven years before. Uh, I thought, uh, you know, I didn't, I wasn't happy with that. Buck was the guy that when I was in the Army would send me, uh, I'd get a letter from Buck with a little note and $20 bill uh, the week before payday. And he'd say, hey, partner, you know, I'm sure you're broke by now. Here, have a few on me. Uh -huh. Well, my good old buddy, is, he, he's sober now. I thought, I, 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 I think about the nicest thing I called him was church puppies. Yeah. So here I am, I'm dying. I can't make the last hundred miles of treatment center and I'm on Buck's doorstep and uh, I'm knocking on the door and Buck and his wife Nettie come to the door and they look at me and then you look at each other and then they reached out and just pulled me into their living room mm. and they put their arms around me there and mm. said a prayer. Wow. And I'll tell you, if it had been a day or two earlier and they'd tried to say a prayer over me, I would have shoved them away. But I stood still for the prayer. And then Buck was a practical man. Uh, he gave me a drink and put me to bed in the spare bedroom. And uh, next day got me up and gave me what to this point has been my last drink and drove me that last hundred miles to that treatment center. Wow, that's cool. So that's that's the way that all rolled out. Yeah. So how was the VA treatment center? It was like all the others, essentially. Was it? I mean, you know, it's all bells and whistles in with my experience in the different. I I had a couple things uh, crucial encounters there that I'll I'll tell you about. Uh, first one was when I was being evaluated in there, the, the guy, the psychologist that was evaluating me uh, was uh, smart enough to say, well, you know, Mike, you might not be an alcoholic. We've, we've got this new thing we're looking at called this PTSD stuff. And 
I th- you could be one of those guys. I'm looking at your record here, and you could mm-hmm. well be one of those guys. And they put me in the PTSD ward, <coughs> and uh, inside 20 hours, four hours, I, I understood I didn't belong there. These weren't my people. Hmm. And I became my uh, alcoholic. If that hadn't happened, I, I might, might I don't know what it would have taken to convince me because... Anything I could hang on to to protect my drinking, my alcoholism, right. uh, I was going to hang on to. <coughs> the other uh, great 12-step thing that happened there was I, I was bad enough shape physically. And I'm going to start coughing here. Do you need something? <coughs> I just... It's okay. Give me a second to recover yeah. here. One thing I say about this podcast is it is I do not do a sanitized podcast. This is how things happen. It's the way life is. You cough once in a while. Your yeah. guy has to get up and go pee. Uh, yeah, yeah, things happen. So uh, I do go. not worry about it. Okay. Well, good. Good enough. I didn't want to blow anybody's ears out there. Yeah. Uh, so uh, in any in any event, I was sick enough when I got there that I I had to be hospitalized but seriously for a while and uh, a little guy in uh, orderly in a pair of gray scrubs I still remember the gray scrubs came in with a clipboard and he just mister they tell me there's a good chance you're not going to make it where would you like your effects sent and he had no plea to get sober quit drinking do anything like that just the straight on truth <coughs> and uh that made an impression. Yeah. So, uh, I uh, while I was there, I had to consider, okay, so you've been dried out before. What's going to be different about this time? And uh, the thing I can come up with is I've never really been a full-on member of uh, 100%. I've been more of like a social member of AA. I hadn't, uh, I didn't really, uh, hadn't really become part of the club if you will yep and so my resolution there was that if I survived all this I was I was I was gonna go and give AA a real try mm-hmm. and uh, so I I eventually you know I got out got out of the treatment center uh, by the way the 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 family that I badmouthed they you know my brother that I had nothing nice to say about uh, wrote a 125cc Suzuki 100 miles each way to visit me every weekend. You know, uh-huh. that, that rotten brother of mine. And uh, so I, you know, the lies, it wasn't so much that I found the truth is that the lies quit working and they fell apart. Hmm. And uh, I uh, got out of there and I went back like every big time guy and I'm, I'm living in my old bedroom at Mommy's. And uh, my youngest brother uh, at that time had just started his career, which he's still successful in today, is a wine distributor. Mm. And my old bedroom was his first warehouse. Uh, yeah. So my first night out of treatment, they got to push the cases of wine back against the walls and put a rollaway bed in mm-hmm. here. And I'm sleeping with wine, wine stacked in, uh, to the ceiling on three sides of me there. And see, that's the miracle. I'm, I'm safe and protected because of uh, 
the surrender that had happened. Right. Got back to Indianapolis. I uh, became, uh, got into what I'd call my junior guru phase in AA. I'm going to 11 meetings a week, which was about the max possible then with between the candlelight meetings, the noon meetings, the regular meetings, all that kind of stuff. And I'm, uh, I, inside five years, I get a new life, uh, develops. Uh, I meet and marry a gal. I got a year and a half old stepson. Uh, I've got a new career. I'm back living on the cul-de-sac again. And as my fifth day AI anniversary approaches, I mean, I never dreamed that if, if you told me I could be sober for five years, I would have, you know, that would have been nirvana. And January 1st was my five years. Yeah. That's what a big five in the window is. So, congratulations. I hope you do better with it than I do. Yeah, well, I'm listening. Because, <laughs> no, I mean, I, I like AA. I love the people there and everything else. But I'm dying inside mm. because I, uh, it's it's my secret, but I, uh, this doesn't work for me. I, I see you getting freer and happier and everything else, and uh, I get all the stuff that I thought I needed, and uh, here I am. I'm 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 more oriented towards suicide at this point than I was at the worst point of my drinking. Mm. Because uh, as bad as things ever got drinking, I could always hold on to the illusion that, well, maybe someday you can get sober. And if you're sober, then all these people told me all the time, you know, if you just didn't drink, I'd keep your engagement ring. If you just didn't drink, you know, we'd uh, promote you here. And all that that whole list that we got. And I, I got my whole wish list. And I'm dead inside. And still wasn't enough. And didn't uh, fill that spot. Because what I'd done in AA was a lot like what I'd done years ago over at the University of Iowa. I went to the field house and I registered for my classes. I bought all my books. Then I took the books and threw them in the closet, joined a fraternity, and started partying. And if you ask me what I was doing, I'd say, well, sir, I'm a pre-law student here at the University of Iowa. And that's technically true, except I really wasn't in class much. And same thing, I didn't miss a conference, I didn't miss a meeting, I I would grab every service position you'd throw out there for me. All this stuff, I'd make coffee for you, I'd do whatever you wanted to do, I just missed the program in Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, I was, uh, what, my home group, we'd call it a slogan slinger. You know, I, well, you just need to turn that over, son. You know, yep. now if you back me up against the wall, you know, say, okay, tell me exactly how I'm going to go turn that over. I couldn't have told you. But I was, I'd hear things going to all those meetings and I'd put them in my pocket and I'd fire them back out at you at some time, mm-hmm. one time. And so, here I was further from a drink than I ever imagined possible in the middle of Alcoholics Anonymous, but I'm dying. Yeah, I've heard that's, yeah. heard similar things. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's not uncommon in 
so many of the guys I work with, when I, when I go around, I get to travel a little bit, and I'll tell you, this is just my personal thing. I don't... I think the new guy or gal coming through the door, that's just wonderful and fine, but those aren't my people. My people are the people with 5, 10, 15, 20, and sometimes more years that are out there sitting in the meetings and conferences that are dying and they can't tell anybody because they got too much time. They've, mm -hmm. got, they've got a reputation that they've got to defend and hold on to. And every now and then snag them. See, the... The danger, as I have observed it, for people with long-term sobriety is uh, is far more likely to be suicide than than, than drinking. Mm. I mean, drinking can happen, or drug use can happen, but you know, we all we already know that doesn't work. Right. We've proved that to ourselves, and so. Uh, most places I go, I will hear, you know, old Joe, he was, he had 27 years and he just parked his car in the garage and let it run. Right. You've heard that too. Heard those stories too. So on and so forth. So, uh, I'm, I'm on a mission to find those guys. Yeah. Well, you know, you really hit me and touched me because, uh, when you said some things, you said it's like slogan slinger and, uh, I find myself doing that often. Mm -hmm. Uh, I also feel like I got some kind of re reputation to protect. Mm -hmm. uh, so you touched me with both of those phrases. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's what it is. So I further, further from a drink than I imagine I get that. I, I had, uh, had a guy that I didn't like very much, uh, save my life. Yeah. You know, and, uh, so forth. So that's, uh, I don't know how far you want to go with this. But. Yeah, yeah. I tell me everything you want to tell me. I like to hear the whole story. Okay. Well, we got. We don't have a time limit, really. Okay. Well, we don't. You unless you know whatever time you need to leave. No. Uh, well, truncate some, some things a little bit here. Sure. But uh, you know, effectively, uh, I got, I got touched by. Uh, a man who uh, who had had a had, still does. He's fifty five years sober now. Uh, a great relation with the steps in recovery. Now he was never my sponsor. Mm. Uh, he's he's become a friend over time, but he put me in contact with uh, with people that I didn't resent as much as I resented him at the time, uh -huh. and. Uh, I got to I, I got to have a new vision of this and uh, got to find out that really at the end of the day uh, love's the most effective tool that we've got that until I can make you believe that I, I care about you and have a real deep concern that you know 12 step from you isn't it just another notch on my belt yeah that uh, we aren't going far and that man <clears throat> that man uh, uh, would tell me he says, you know I love you don't you Mike and he'd say things like well knowing that I love you Mike you know if there was any way I could tell you how to have a successful sick relationship I'd do it but since there isn't I can't and uh, 
we went uh, went along through that, and uh, he would uh, hold my hand and lead me into another piece of the truth and piece of the truth. And uh, he uh, he would uh, have <coughs> he lived. He lived in uh, in Denver, and I lived in Indianapolis. But uh, he was uh, a person who traveled a lot and had a bazaar. So he'd give me, he said, "I'm buying you a ticket with some airline miles," and I'd go out and I'd stay at his house for a period of time. And he said, "I want you to see how a sane man and his family live and they interact with each other." Mm. And my best memories, I'd, wa I'd watch he and his wife. If it was nice weather out there in Denver, uh, they'd hold hands and walk through the neighborhood in the morning to start their day. And I'd trail along about six, six feet behind. And then if it was a, a nasty weather, we'd go to the mall and watch the same thing repeated hmm. and, and so forth. And uh, so uh, it was... Those things, he, you know, he'd say, no matter how spiritual we could make all any of this sound, it doesn't really have much value except for our ego unless we can take it to the street. So how 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 are we going how are we going to use this spiritual conception to to touch somebody and to help somebody rather than just inflate ourselves? Yeah, and that sort of thing. So uh, yeah, it's uh, I was I was really blessed and have been, been, been blessed to encounter a lot of people along this trail. And uh, he gave me the, <clears throat> gave me the beginning of uh, how to have, how to have a sane relationship and uh, how to, how to be a decent guy. Uh, see, uh, he said, you know, Mike, if you really were a sociopath or a psychopath, there wouldn't be anything we could do for you. Mm. But he says, those are just an act you've been hiding behind. Uh, you do stuff that would fall into those categories, yeah. oddly enough. But he says, the difference is when you do that, it breaks your own heart. And then, then, you, then you have to drink or do something else in order to heal it or... Now that you're sober, you got to buy something. You got to do something, yeah. and 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 so forth. So uh, that was <clears throat> that was kind of the uh, a short version of the turn that it was made here. So five years in, you met a new teacher. Yeah, that uh, changed the tra your trajectory. Yeah, yeah, and I had most importantly. I'd, I'd had people available to me a long time. That yeah. It was my willingness coming together with their presence. Right, yeah. Because yeah. the best teacher in the world uh, wouldn't help nope. if, if I, as long as I was bunkered in behind my old ideas. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I have a similar experience, but it wasn't staying sober. It was bouncing around. My first four years in uh, was periods of sobriety and white chips and red chips and blue chips and back to a white chip and a, and I did actually get a, a one year token in 2000 and uh, sixteen I guess and I didn't drink for a year but I dabbled in some other things mm -hmm. 
and uh and i just i say i bounced off the halls and wa- or walls and halls of aa for a few years of playing with it and not investing and uh thinking i can just have one and um and then i, I got in a lot of trouble <laughs> a lot of trouble and right after a little while after getting in a lot of trouble i intersected with the right person at the right time and that is my affected my current sobriety date <laughs> yeah okay well that's great so well look if uh, i'm taking it we're probably about run out of time here but uh, even though we've got no time but yeah uh if i can i'd like to tell you a little bit of a story here to kind of maybe wrap it up for now yeah i, I have no you know like i said a lot of guys will go an hour and a half well, I guess we don't okay. necessarily uh, have a, like I said, we don't have a time limit except for when you need to leave. The last guy that told his story in here, yeah. he had a sponsor with him, it clocked out at two hours and 17 minutes. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So I don't worry about it. That's one cool thing about this is that I, it's. I can't, I can't do that. We've got, I've got a friend out in Seattle that, uh, that we call 212. Mm. And Brendan's uh, got that nickname because they, they told him that when he was visiting Iceland uh, with another friend of mine. They said, well, Brendan, you can just take all the time you need to tell your story tonight. And it was 2.12, and, and there are 2.12 sweat, sweatshirts out there. Oh, are there? All kind. Yeah. Where'd you, uh, In Iceland, yeah. huh? Yeah. That uh, What was that? What's the name of that? There's some of a town where a lot of speakers in a Reykjavik. conference go. Yeah. I see that on uh, on locations of speaker tapes a lot and uh, conventions and, and big step studies and things like that. Yeah. Well, yeah. And that's kind of one of the first big uh, websites came out of that. Right. XM, XM, XA, 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 XA speakers. Yeah. yeah. Arner and the boys. Yeah. So you know them, huh? Uh, Have I know you been Arner there? a little bit. Yeah. Yes. I've, I haven't been there. No. Huh? Yeah, that's interesting because that's that's who I that was the first uh, speaker tape library that I oh, hit, okay. and it's still my favorite. Uh, and I still, when I get new guys and they're sitting around and they're twiddling their thumbs and trying to figure out what to do with their time except for drink, yeah, because I'm not drinking now. What do I do? Yeah. Here, listen to this, and I send them links. Yeah, I kind of I joke around about DTM Enterprises. That's Dan the Man. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> and uh, and and I really do say DTM Woodwork. Uh, that's okay. what I call this. Sure. And uh, so DTM Enterprises also has a speaker tape service where if you send me a text, I will send you a good speaker tape. Oh, okay. <laughs> and it's uh, it's kind of jokey, but it's real, too. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and I do quite a bit of that, of dropping those. I got, a, I don't know, some favorites, and, and I know that it will entertain them, too, yeah. along with along with carrying the message. Yeah, so absolutely. they'll stick with it because yeah. it's entertaining. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, and that's where the most of them come from is XA. Okay. Yeah, sure. Yeah, well, I uploaded a, a lot of stuff from some friends and, and stuff over there. Now, XA had a big clean-out some years back. Oh, did it? Well, they were on the, uh, on the cusp of being sued by uh, somebody who bought a tape library on the East Coast. I'm trying to keep this very general. Yeah. And so they... Uh, Rather than fight them in court, they took a lot of stuff out and took it down. Really? It was once there, they claimed that... They're know, mine. Yes, yes, <laughs> kind of that sort of stuff. Yeah, I always... I, 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 conceptually, I struggle with that mine yeah. thing, you know, that this is mine, this is mine. My wife. Do you own her? 
my kids, my property. How did I get this piece of dirt in that line right there in the dirt? On one side of it's mine, one side of it's yours. <laughs> yeah, there's there's usually a lot of pain coming behind that word. Yeah. You know, that uh, anyway. So what do you got? What do you, you well, look like you're going I, to? Well, uh, I was going to. One of the things I do, uh, you know, I was taught to do uh, by my mentors is that uh, you know, it's useless to tell people what to do if you don't get them into the why should I care about this and why should I do it thing. Yeah, I like that. So I'm going to give you a direct example of where I got a real first step that I could, I could keep, and it was. Uh, Oddly enough, writing a piece of uh, what we call conduct inventory or sex inventory, whichever mm. way you want to go. And uh, this was regarding my uh, uh, college sweetheart. And I love this gal like a rainbow. I went hunting and fishing with her daddy and her brothers. She was from a, a big Catholic family, and I loved all of them. And as much as I loved her, I wanted to be part of that family, not just her. Mm. And so here, here's what I did. Uh, Ellen, where was I selfish? I wanted to enjoy sex with her regardless of the consequences. I was dishonest. I told her not to worry that I'd always be there for her no matter what. I dishonestly refused to consider my willingness and ability to keep that promise. Inconsiderate. I gave scant consideration to the consequences of my behavior to her, her family, her faith, her reputation, and her career. I roused jealousy. I told her if she didn't have sex with me that I'd get it elsewhere. Paid undue attention to other women in her presence and let her know how attractive I found her. Mm. Often spent time alone with other women. She found me at Holly's apartment. Bad night. Bitterness. When she became pregnant, because I eventually wore her down, I told her that I doubted it was my child. I told her mother I was too young to get married and didn't want to marry her anyway. And when she was in California having our baby, I made drunken crawls to harangue her. I abandoned her and our child and because in those days communications were different, I told all the local people that she'd run out on me. Mm. And, oh, was she pregnant? Well, maybe she was cheating on me, you know. Uh, who did I harm? The baby, obviously, Ellen, her family, my family, our friend. What should I have done instead? Well, Don said uh, almost anything would be an improvement. <laughs> But this was key, too, because it was opened up. Uh, one, of, one of the things that Don, the Don I'm talking about here is, was Don P. from Colorado. Uh, one of the things Don always told me, he says, Mike, he says, God's not going to change you against your will. Uh, he's uh, the God I understand is a God of informed consent. So... If you write an ideal here, you let God know what you'd like to be if he'd be willing to change you that way. Hmm. And so this was the first of a series of those things that I've written over the years. Uh, and I always have my current ideal for my sex conduct and uh, my uh, 
ideal for my relationship now with my wife in my pocket and my billfold at all times here. So, uh, said, I should have treated sex as the sacred gift that it is. I shouldn't have engaged in behavior that I wasn't willing to be responsible for. I should have honestly faced the consequences of my actions. I should have been honest with myself and others. My harms were all rooted in dishonesty, particularly about how afraid I was. And then here is, I didn't know it at the time that way, but here is a bit of a spiritual awakening. Self-reliance will always produce fear and pain. Self-reliance will always produce produce fear fear and and pain. And so I say I got a first step here because, see, I knew, I understood powerlessness in a new way here because I knew if I, if there'd been any way I could have treated her differently, I would have. And I understood what being driven by fear and driven by, it wasn't solely by drink because there were periods of sobriety in there uh, or non-drunkenness anyway. But yet I was willing to betray all these people that I loved. And I understood that for me, bottom was that if I love you, I'm going to hurt you and there's not a damn thing I can do about it. Mm. And, and that's about as, for me, that's about as powerless as I can I can get. Yeah. Uh, and that doesn't always come in a can. That's a uh, piece of thing. So that's where I... Had, had really understood that I I was going to require a spiritual solution to fix that whole thing. Yeah, I think I know. I think I've heard Don P. He's speakers since tapes and stuff out, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. He's uploaded a lot of that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, he uh, he went to went to Russia. As a matter of fact, the first uh, first group that uh, from the. He was serving as trustee at large at the time and uh, part of a four-man team that went to Russia. It was Soviet Union that, mm-hmm. at that time in the late 80s there. Yeah. And, to carry the message? Yeah. And uh, I'm, oddly enough, I'm sponsoring a guy that's trans doing a new translation of the Russian big book, and I'm going to Russia Are <laughs> you? at the end of April. That'll be fun. So, yeah. So, nice. So anyway, there there's that thing. So, okay. Now, that's unfolded in a lot of ways over the years. But finally, what happens is that uh, in uh, late February of uh, 2018, I'm sitting in uh, my oncologist's waiting room and I get a email from my brother and my brother says you know my brother the good guy he's uh forwarded this to me uh says here hello mike your brother robert lorenz gave me your email address and said that you might be able to assist me I'm fairly new to Ancestry.com and knew the search for my biological family. Ancestry matched Robert and I as having a, quote, close family DNA relationship, either him as my grandfather 
or uncle. So far, this is the only close DNA match for me. I'm a 47-year-old woman. My parents adopted me from Catholic Charities out of Sacramento, California. I was born in February of 1971. I have a family tree started, but it's all for my wonderful adoptive family. I'm curious to learn more about my biological family tree, and I would appreciate any information you might have. I would also like to say that I've had a good life in a loving adoptive family. I'm happily married and have one amazing 13-year-old daughter. I'm grateful to my biological parents for making what I'm sure was not an easy choice and ensuring that I've had a good life. I'm curious about, about my biological roots and any available medical history. I'd like to be able to provide that information to my daughter for her benefit. I want to be sensitive to the fact that the story of my birth might not be known or shared, and I don't want to cause my biological parents and their families any distress. Thank you again for your assistance. Best regards, Joey, and then her last name. Getting tingles on the back of my neck. And I, uh, there's some back and forth, and uh, I emailed Joey and talked, and then we eventually had a phone conversation, and she sent me photographs and uh, it was pretty clear from the, uh, Ellen was a, uh, a redhead and that's her family was. And then it, anyway, the, it was, it was clear. And then I, I went and had the DNA test done and uh, uh, bingo, I've got a, I've got a daughter. 47 year old daughter. And a granddaughter. And, uh, and I'm always reminded I've got a favorite son-in-law now too. And those were those were gifts uh, that I never thought I would I would have yeah. uh, because at the time right rightfully so when she returned from having that baby and placing it for adoption she wouldn't even tell me whether it was a boy or a girl and you know and anything else and she just asked that uh, I leave her alone and her family alone which I did for all these years. Now, as Joey and I began to talk, she, of course, wanted to know, well, who's my mom? And I explained, I said, you know, I, I, I think I know where I, of course, I know who she is, but, and I think I know where I might locate her, but here are the reasons I haven't, haven't for all these years. And so she, uh, we talked and I agreed that I'd write her, uh, Ellen, a letter and see what she'd do wanted to do. And so here's the letter that was written. Dear Ellen, please forgive my intrusion after all these years. Last week I received the following email and then the, that was the email I read you. Since receiving this email, I've been in contact with Joey via email, text, and an extended phone conversation. The details she's given me, including photos and her DNA match with my brother Bob as her uncle have convinced me, me that she's almost certainly the child that you placed for adoption. 
She's an amazing woman who is especially grateful that you provided her with a chance to grow and thrive with her adopted family. Connecting with her is a blessing, a piece of grace that I never expected to receive. Our conversation made it clear to, to Joey, I made it clear to Joey that it was your courage and principles that made her life possible. I told her that I treated you horribly without equivocation. My treatment of you is the most shameful thing that I've done in my life, and whatever you may say to her won't be too harsh. Joey knows only that your name is Ellen. Should you choose, here are the ways you can contact her. And I listen. Joey understands and will respect your decision if you decide not to connect, but ask that you let one of us know so she won't be in limbo. If this has awakened memories and feelings about the harm I did to you and your family that you'd like to discuss, you can reach me in the following ways. I pray that you're enjoying a wonderful life. And about a few days later, I was uh, driving and uh, got a call, and it was Alan. Hmm. And uh, I had a chance to uh, make amends. She said, uh, you're an AA, aren't you? And uh, I said, huh? She says, well, I recognize the lingo. She said, uh, I've got I've got a son that's eight years sober. Oh wow! And what you don't know, and I go to open meetings with him from time to time, so I hear that talk. See, people listen to yeah. us. Yeah. And she said, the other thing you don't know is that uh, all of my brothers have died of alcoholism, all three of them. Mm. And. Uh, so she, we had a conversation, some amends were made, and she, she got connected with Joey, and uh, I got to clean up that piece with her. Since she got rid of me, she's done very well. She's, uh, she's been married to the same guy for 45 years now and uh, has two children with him, and uh, so uh, a lot of healing has taken place. Yeah, but, uh, I love that. I just love it. It makes yeah. as you're talking to me, I get a physical reaction to uh, certain stuff, and it's like that juice thing that I don't know what it is. But as you're reading that letter, I get this tingling feeling in my neck, and I always get it. It's the back of my head and my neck, and I like it. It feels really good, but it's some kind of t it's where I know that I'm like being touched by by the magic. Yeah. Well, here here's the funny thing. Uh, I got that, and I was. It was a Wednesday. I was sitting in the doctor's office. That Friday, I was flying to Sacramento, uh, within 15 miles of where she lives, to do a workshop for some men, men up up there. Of um, course, you did. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, that had been scheduled, you know, a year yeah. in advance with no knowledge of any of this. Right. I'm plunked down. God, I love that stuff. Uh, yeah. Now, I didn't actually get to see her that trip because she was uh, off on oh, wait, spring gone. break with her daughter, you know. Yeah. But uh, I did get, to, I, I've been, uh, we've been together face to face four times since. Wow. And uh, I was talking at a speaker meeting in Sacramento last August. And uh, 
I'd let her hear some recordings and stuff. So says, you know, you're welcome to come if you want to. And this is sort of kind of what she had no experience with Alcoholics Anonymous. So, yeah. So, you know, if you want to come, you can. If you don't, that's fine. And she says, oh, I, I think that's okay. I'll, I'll come. And uh, she, uh, she was sitting there. So I got to end my talk in Sacramento by going. And here's Joey, you know, very uh, cool on the front row. And uh, the speaker line to thank her was longer than my speaker line. Uh, there are a lot of, it turns out there are a lot of kids from families and women who would, who have uh, given up children for adoption and so forth that uh, it was, it was another piece of healing for all of us. Yeah. Man. And uh, she said, you know, she says, Mike, you know, she says, I just, the only thing I feel bad about is she says, I'm sorry it took us 47 years mm -hmm. to connect. And uh, God gave me the words that said, honey, it took about 47 years for God to make me worth connecting with. Ah, uh, nice. I'm so glad you missed the pain of some of those years. Yeah. And, and so forth. So now I've been elevated to the ultimate uh, she loves and respects her adoptive family as she should. Yeah, did so, Ellen contact her? Yeah, and so we, uh, so we become. Uh, I'm pops now for the family, and we all get along well, and and so forth. So that's about it for me today. Yeah, that's, that's a magic story. Those uh, those stories uh, are you know all over the place, and 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 I would really rather hear that than like a story. Yeah. Uh, I do a little. I have one episode on here, and I did it really early. And I'm thinking the quality is not as good as what it is because I just faked it till I make it doing this thing. I have no idea what I'm doing. We just started doing it, and um, and and I don't know. I still don't know exactly what I'm doing. I'm hoping something else has got control because yeah. I, <laughs> I never do. Uh, so I did one. It was only my miracles because that's what I would call that. Some people would say a promise. Yeah. It's these things that were these were. The, I like Brian's third party intervention. What yeah. it comes in and puts things together and makes things happen that uh, that are really um, I don't know where they happen except for here in this recovery when you're operating under these principles. And that's an example of that story you just said about how that intersection at the right time at the right you know all that happened just exactly the way it's supposed yeah. to. And and what's really sometimes I don't realize it until I look back, right? But sometimes I feel it right now. You know, I know, okay, you know, I'm, it's almost like God has said, yeah. go. And uh, and I, so I do a podcast with nothing but my miracles, and I just yeah. run through them. My, uh, my sponsor, uh, current sponsor, often says that uh, life is fired at us from point blank range, but only understood in the rearview mirror. So, yeah, I love yeah, that. That's, uh, that's pretty much the way it is. Yeah. Uh, can I ask, can you tell me who he is? Who is your sponsor? Bob B. from St. Paul. Uh, with Don and I, uh, Don M. and I share the same sponsor. Yeah. I had another sponsor for a number of years, but he passed. And, and uh, I asked Bob to pick up that burden. Yeah. Uh, when we get off here, I'm going to get his last name because I want to know who it is. Well, uh Mike, I really appreciate you coming in and spending some time with me. Uh, I would like to, I mean, that book over there that you got looks like it has a lot of this kind of thing in it. 
uh, you know, another thing, uh, I'll be, you know, I would like to have more of you. You know, I think you've got probably a lot to unpack that would be valuable to people. It sounds like you do a lot of speaking in workshops and things. Yeah, I'm, I I tend to prefer the, uh, of course, I, I do some podium speaking, but I, I really enjoy the workshop weekends because they allow more for relationships to develop that, uh, you know, we can do a session or two and you and I can go have a cup of coffee in the corner and unpack some stuff and and uh, and have more of a relationship. So I yeah, I, kind of like a retreat atmosphere where yeah. you get to where you actually can get to know each other and build some relationships during it rather than uh, yeah. Uh, I that happened. I like to me, that too. Yeah, that happened to me accidentally because yeah, the way I got to do anything at all was uh, filling in for Don P that his schedule was giant and so. Uh, when conflicts had come up, I, I'd get thrown in all of a sudden. I, my first out-of-town gig was doing a, an entire weekend for some people in Santa Barbara. <laughs> uh, so, you know, which is not the way you normally start. Yeah. And so I ended up doing weekends first and then going to the podium afterwards. So that's it. Yeah, I like how you said it happened by accident. You know, my father's my father lives with me. He's eighty one. Uh, <coughs> he and I are best friends, and uh, he we come out here and work in his shop together. We'd turn wrenches together and do things, and uh, and and I just love him. He's taught me uh, a ton of things over over the years, and uh, um, he and I, my brother, built a log cabin out in Orange County, Indiana, near Potoka Lake twenty years ago. Uh, what I didn't know was that we were building that because when I was 16, uh, about 17 months sober, my group was looking for a place to go and camp and have a retreat. And I had a place. Now, that place was built on alcohol and that kind of thing 20 years ago. Yeah. But now I have men come down there and have retreats. And uh, in, in May, I usually do it in May. May was my sixth one, men's retreat. Wow. Uh, and you know, like I said, just now five years sober. Uh, that's an accident. Like you said, I don't, that I invited some guys to come down. We had, uh, on a Saturday night meeting, we had 32 men camping out in a circle around the bonfire, uh, sharing, uh, what's going on with them and, 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 and talking and doing this and doing that relationship building thing you were talking about where we get to know each other. We cook food on the fire and, uh, just by accident, one of our members is a professional chef. Oh, uh, you know, uh, so he helps with the food because he's used to like, because I'm not used to cooking for that many people. And we bring potluck kind of stuff and do that. And uh, also one of the things that I do, that, again, I didn't know that uh, God was lining this up, is that that's where I take a guy for a fist step. Hmm. And we yeah. go down there and spend the night. And I have him do, we do fist step. We eat some, cook some supper. Yeah. Sit in a log cabin. No cell phones, no electricity, no running water. It's comfortable, but primitive. Yeah. Uh and we uh, we do a fist step, and then I have them do six and seven as I go to bed, and uh, I can go to sleep on a dime, so they don't have to worry about me hearing them. I tell, yeah. tell them, and something, they need me holler. I'll wake up, and they do six and seven. I wake up with a guy in the morning that looks different than the guy that walked in the cabin the night before. Yeah, uh, you see that shift in them, and it's just an honor to get to do it. You know, and so many things like that. That's one like on my miracle list thing that that you know this. I didn't know I was going to be 
doing this and carrying this message to people. I had no idea. I didn't plan this. Uh, so this stuff happens and, and, and we're full of stories and I'd like to hear some more of yours. The other thing I will tell you is that this stuff is portable. I am willing to come to you so I can pack up these two microphone stands and that computer and I put them in that red bit on that, in that green bin. That's where they live. So they don't get any dust on them yeah. and, uh, and, and, and go to other people's houses and go so that I don't, you know, you don't necessarily have to come to me. So uh, that's a that's a uh, invitation and an offer, and uh, I would like to hear more because you've uh, touched me today. Well, uh, I was with taught to. Uh, this is kind of my traveling briefcase here, and uh, as you might have guessed, I I don't uh, I come from a tradition where we we do multiple fifth steps uh, mm-hmm. because for the same reason, police will ask you the. Uh, interrogate you more than once. It, the, the rarely does the truth come out on the first interrogation. Right. And, and it's the so, old onion peeling thing. Yeah. And uh, well, it wears down. For me, it I get behind the ego. Eventually, the truth slips out. I can I can keep the act up for a short period of time, and then, you know, uh, oh okay. Yeah. Here here we go. But uh, so we. Uh, I was taught and believe that that, that inventory uh, that we write is uh, is God God has a recycling plan. See, I go out with my good intentions and in trying to live uh, life. I've got a I produce garbage. You know, essentially, I, I hurt people. I do things. I don't. You know, I. I uh, but if I'm willing to write about it and place places in God's hands that then can be recycled into an instrument of healing for somebody else. And uh, that's uh, that's my responsibility. So, yeah. uh, you know, I try and keep at hand a few pieces of things that are uh, useful, can be useful to, to others. Yeah. And, uh, so I'll essentially have... You know, why the hell should I bother, you know, writing this goddamn inventory? You know, this and that and the other thing. And, yeah, here, because it's transformative. It's not transformative because I learn new stuff about me. That's okay. But, see, I can't use... The mistake is that if I try and use that information to change myself, because I can't. The inventory is to convince me of the futility of trying to tra- change myself. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, one of I like that the Oxford Group had a, did what we would call a fourth step before they did a third step. Oh, really? Yes, you got to know. And the Oxford Group's quotes third step prayer was God. I've made a terrible mess out of my life trying to run it myself. Would you take it and run it for me? Now, Bill got more flowery and so forth. But see, after examining, they would have somebody examine their life. Say, okay, man, I see. Here, right. here it is. Yep, I really well, have made a mess. <laughs> yeah. And the question I was asked is, well, okay, Mike, the time I started this, and you know, I'm in my late 30s. Look, if God gives you another 30, 40 years, do you really think over time you're going to do any better than you've done already? Didn't you want to not hurt people just as much in the beginning? Yeah. Yeah. 
So what I what I what I do what it is it's a tool to really drive home my powerlessness hmm. and unmanageability because until that until the idea that somehow I can fix myself I can improve myself whatever you know I can do it for a short period of time I can't even see myself yeah <laughs> not yeah. accurately so so that's 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 all the point that's why we're we're heading down the line you know that's why don't drink and go to meetings is only a place to start not a place to land hmm yeah. If you're alcoholic of my variety. Yeah. So anyway. I'm right in tune with you. I just ran on for another 20 minutes yeah. here. And I like it. I, I, You know, it's a gift to me when I get to have somebody talk to me and tell me stuff because everything I, you know, I learn and I, and I have avenues that allow me to uh, grow. And, and, and I know I can't do this, you know, that other thing about we, right? Uh, I can't do any of this on my own. Uh, and some of that power greater in me is you and the other group, you know, and the people that are doing things that uh, I should, you know, uh, I need I take note of. Teachers are everywhere. So uh, I enjoy uh, listening to you. And, uh, and it really is a gift to me. It is to be able to do this and to have uh, people take their valuable time to come and sit in this little wood shop in the backyard in New Albany, Indiana, and, uh, and chat a little bit. Yeah, well, I enjoyed it very much, and thank you, Dan. Thank you. Well, we'll close her up then. Um, I have, you know, I've, I've kind of landed on some uh, opening and closing remarks, and I, and I like to do it. Uh, the uh, you know, If you're not having a blast in your recovery, it's your own damn fault. <laughs> and I want to just thank everyone to uh, for allowing me to participate in my recovery in this manner today. Peace out. Out. Are you laughing even before you knew you were meant for something much more than this broken world they pushed on you? Shot down because you wouldn't conceive, I into the ship they said to believe, always felt there was something else you came to do. Now the new
Finding that you have so much to say